Hey, Jonathan. What's up? How's it going? Good. Um, so yeah, this is just for the, for the live folks for a second or two. Cause sometimes what, here's what always happens. I have like, I'm like previewing the live thing in one year. Then mm-hmm. I start a real conversation and then all of a sudden I like hear myself mm. doubling back and then I got to start again. So anybody watching the way these usually work is like, I turn on the live feed so people can kind of watch us recording the podcast. Then the real show is going to come out in a day or two, however long it takes to nice. edit out all the mistakes and, uh, clean it up. But uh, we don't really watch the chat, so we won't be responding a ton. I, I think we're going to have good conversations, though, so hopefully you guys enjoy it. Hey, Jonathan, thanks for coming back. Absolutely. Anytime, dude. Yeah, it's been a while, and like the, the, the whole world has changed since uh, last time we talked on here, but um, in, in, in some very interesting ways in tech, in some very good ways in tech, and I think uh, the, the stuff I want to talk about today is all super exciting. Um, Part of it's like what you've been up to. I feel like your, your your world of what you're producing has totally changed. Like you're, you've shifted to uh, a lot of awesome music production, pushing the tech of it in ways that I don't see many other people doing. Um, and then we've got some great computers that have come out since too. And I, I haven't done an episode yet since the Mac Studio came out. Studio Display, I know you've played with both of them. So I, I'd love to cover all of that. Are you in? Yes, I would uh, add to that note. I think, you know, outside of the world craziness and chaos, I think it's arguably, you know, never been a better time to create in terms of the tools that are available. Well, yeah. And that's, I mean, you're the, you're always my reference point for like the, the, like pushing the tech for actual creative purposes, right? Like it's not just uh, the, the technology for it to exist, like just for the sake of enjoying that, uh, you know, feeds and speeds and that the numbers are high enough and all this stuff. It's like, what can you actually do with it? How can you turn this into something interesting? And um, you've always done that. And I feel like you've gone even more in that direction where it's less about like the, the numbers are not the point here. It's like, how, how do we make this into something cool? Yeah, I don't know. I think we're just past that, you know, um, especially with Apple doing their own chips, because it's not. I don't know. You can't look at it the same because it's not just CPU, GPU anymore. It's it's coprocessors and encoders and decoders and so many other things that kind of make the old way of looking at things not really matter. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, to the point where, like, I don't know how to benchmark things anymore. Like the old idea of, um, you know, that like. Yeah, well, it's like you're just going to run a bunch of like technical things um, that, you know, are optimized for the last generation when everything was way more GPU intensive. And meanwhile, um, the actual performance of our daily stuff is is like totally destroying what those things used to do, right? Like all of a sudden, um, like, I mean, okay, so we, I, I guess we could go right into the Mac Studio stuff that what we... Uh, what what we've been seeing or what I've been seeing is that um, some of the things that would traditionally be benchmarks that just like, you know, like lean on the GPU in certain ways or um, are single CPU intensive end up not being that impressive. But then suddenly you get something that's like optimized in the way that these new processors like and the performance is like, through the roof, which, you know, of course, uh, Apple software is always pretty good at, but other things too. And the other best example I've been seeing is resolve. Like resolve has been amazing. It's like, it's sometimes outperforming final cut for me. And I think that's like, that's like a good thing for Apple to, to see that third-party developers can be on par with, you know, when, when like, obviously Apple has, access to all of their own first party software tools, but anybody else can also match that performance. It's, it's, I think awesome. Yeah. And weirdly enough too, I feel like Apple has embraced that like the keynote, right? Especially the, the thing I noticed first, especially in the audio portion is Ableton was highlighted, not logic. And I think Apple, you know, in a, in a kind of full circle way has really embraced just making stuff and it's not dependent on logic or just final cut and, yeah, I think if you're on a Mac and you're making video, you should be in Resolve or Final Cut because they both just 
shred. And like you said, I've seen resolve. Like it, it's wild. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, I mean, I like that it's, you know, one or the other, there isn't this massive advantage to being in final cut. Are you still spending most of your time in final cut? Is that where you do your big edits right now? I think I'm just so used to it. I don't, the way I edit as well. Um, I just, it, the magnetic timeline and those kinds of things just benefit me more than like a resolve type method. And I think another big thing that I like about Final Cut is just the access to logic plugins. So, you know, being able to jump back and forth if I need logic for bigger type things where I can actually sync video and do, you know, maybe more score like things, it's there. But, you know, I think people a don't know or often are surprised to see the amount of audio control that you have within Final Cut because of just the direct access to Logic plugins. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I've had this, I've had a bit of this feeling lately. Of this is the most conflicted I've ever felt of of feeling like I need to switch. I've, I've talked about it on the show a little bit, um, but like Resolve has really been making me fall in love with the ability to um, modify my colors in a way that Final Cut, it's like, I got to get through a few barriers. I've got to like find the way Final Cut wants me to make it work. And in the end, they don't end up with the same tool set. Um, But it's the actual editing tools, like that magnetic timeline, like you say, it's like the, the, the process of just taking a bunch of clips, a bunch of concepts and putting them in a row Nothing, nothing makes that go faster. Even if your export times aren't faster or whatever, like it, it doesn't even matter because, um, the, the, like what editing really is 90% of editing is just finding the good stuff and putting it in a sequence. Right. Um, and yeah, it, it kills for that, but okay. So if we're talking about Mac studio, um, a lot of what it, it's, you know, we're getting processors that we already had. Uh, I think you're playing with the ultra version, right? So, both of us were testing out the the fastest version, but just in terms of the format of it being, um, you know, a little box you put on the desk, is that is that what your standard choice would be? Would you go to that for your daily computer, or I mean, do you have another favorite? T- it's tough for me because the fourteen inch um, MacBook Pro, the M1 Max, that's been my favorite computer maybe ever because it completely obliterated the need, and I've been like that actually. I I actually made the shift going away from a desktop with M1. That was honestly enough for me where I could ditch, you know, I know it sounds wild, but I ditched the Mac Pro, I ditched the 5K iMac and the M1 13-inch MacBook Pro. Mind you, with 16 gigs of RAM, like that was my main machine for the entirety of that year until the new set came out. And for the things that I did, right, because... And that's kind of how I approach the studio. A lot of the things that I do and even touching on how you approach video, like I'm not a colorist or I don't usually spend a crazy amount of time trying to dial things later. I'm very much a, let me make this look as good as I can in the moment, in the shot, in camera, so I can do a minimal amount later and just focus on the creative part where, you know, I don't care about 8K raw. I, I Give me ProRes and a good codec, right? And I'll make it look good in the moment. So everything that I did, the the M1 MacBook Pro, you know, changed everything for me, right? Because there was was no fan, there was no fan noise. So I could get the quietness of a Mac Pro, but then have one machine and be able to take that where I needed to take it, I could dock it into a display. I was, you know, using an ultrafine 5k at that time. So to jump from that to M1 Max, it was just wild, right? Like everything I loved about M1 was now, you know, tenfold better. So I think the studio is interesting because I wanted to come at it from a different angle of like, how could I maximize the power? And I think we were able to, and I will absolutely be using it, but it's hard to argue the 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pro. There's not a better value in terms of computers right now, in terms of power, portability, the displays, right? I mean, the studio, those displays are so good. I think it made a little bit of the controversy of the studio display kind of accelerate a little bit. Yeah. I mean, when those MacBooks were announced, there was this feeling, I, I had this feeling where I was shocked that they 
were able to pull that off. It was this big, it's what you want from Apple. And I think it's what people want every single keynote is that there's something in it that you feel like, I can't believe they pulled that off. I ne- I, I did not, I did not see that coming. It's the one more thing type type. And th- that was the detail of those, of those MacBook Pros. Like they've put a better monitor on these laptops than on than anything else I have. I don't have any other screens that good. And I, I just completely did not expect that. Um, so, well, I mean, I guess that'll lead into our, our, our impressions of the, the studio display as well. But w- w- one more thing, just when you're talking about how, how good the M1 Max is as well, I think that was, that was the big like hallelujah moment where it's like, wow, we have turned a corner here. I can do things now that I couldn't before. I've said that over and over again, I, I, but I, I feel like, I feel like I need to keep saying it. Cause like, this is going to be a moment we look back on, like, remember when, you know, the M ones got like incredible and all of a sudden all of our workflows could change. Cause it was that much faster. So now that we're testing the M one ultra, I think th- th- there's like, it takes a little bit of a, the, the air out of that balloon because it's like, well, it doesn't have that same jump that we just experienced with the max it's just like, it's better. It's, there's certain things that it's, it's really impressive with, but I'd say after spending some time with it, the things I really appreciate about the, the ultra are real, like professional features, like having Thunderbolt on all sides of it, you know, knowing that whatever port you plug into, there's never a compromise. It's never going to slow down. Knowing that you can have 128 gigs of Ram. Like you're just, you're just not worrying about the Ram anymore. You know, you've got You've got all the headroom you need. You're barely, you're usually not going to touch it. Um, but even a lot of the professional stuff isn't, isn't able to access every single one of those cores all the time. So it's not like, it's not like you never wait for things still. There's still those moments where it just kind of slows down and, you know, and it just starts making you realize where all these like software bottlenecks are. Actually, it reminded me of um, when you were reviewing the, the Big Mac Pro, like, you know, the, the, the tower, um, we were trying to do some tests together where I was trying to push Lightroom and we were like watching it and I couldn't, and basically like halfway through, I'm like Lightroom's just not taking advantage of any of these cores. Nothing, nothing's being activated here. And it's such a letdown when you're like, oh, the software is going to make the hardware look bad. Like, come on, the hardware is there. Like, let me but use that's, it. That's the mentality that I think has put us in this place in the first place where People often, they're disappointed where it's like Apple says, here's the tools, right? If you optimize your software, then it's going to rip. And I think that in itself lends itself a little bit to that, you know, I don't like not condescending, but like the PC mindset of like, I need this power, right? Because my, my software, you know, isn't optimized. So it needs that power. Whereas if it's optimized, you know, and, and you get something that's optimized and taking advantage of all the power, then it's just like pure poetry. And I think I have a video that I want to do, you know, so, something along the lines of like the Apple butterfly effect, where they're very good at implementing tech into something, not even in terms of like a beta product, but like listening to you talk about the Mac Studio in the sense of like, oh, the ports are on the front. That was one of the things I noticed immediately on the Mac Pro where it's like, oh, that's very nice. I can access things here, full on Thunderbolt or just the chassis or the cooling. And same thing with the Pro Display XDR, right? It was expensive. Everyone hated it at first. Now people are praising it because that tech isn't in the studio display. But that had to exist for the XDR display in the MacBook. And Apple is very, very good at taking a piece of tech in something that was maybe a little niche, a little expensive, and then trickling that down into the mass product, which has been, I think, you know, a ex- perfect example with the MacBooks and now even the Mac Studio. I, I also think that a lot of people have misconceptions of what, well, there's always this, there's always this problem that we use the word pro in a million ways, not acknowledging that it has some very different meanings. Like it just, we're all saying the same word and we forget that it can mean everything from, I mean, there are professional writers, there's programmers, there's, and then even if we just go in the world of, of video production, 
Some people need to prioritize, uh, let's say editing where it's like, you just need to be ripping through a codec that is not slowing your machine down. If you're color grading, now you're stacking a bunch of different effects and layers on top. Um, and like wherever you are in the stack, you can be working at the biggest production studio in the world and you are a professional and, it, and you're still using the machine in a completely different way, right? But I, I think something that is in common with, with all professionals um, is the, the, the value of headroom. Like it's always yes. helpful to have a machine that's doing, that can oh, yeah. do more, right? You'd never want to be operating in the top five, 10%. Bro, right? you read my mind. I was literally thinking that because like picture you're like in a, in a room and the water's filled to the ceiling. Like you don't want to be your head just right here, right? Like if you're operating at the, the top percent and there's nowhere else to go like that's not a good place to be uh so i'm so happy and you know i think that lends itself to i think you've been kind of just in your wheelhouse and enjoying and making great things and i think you appreciate it because you make shit every day you genuinely make stuff and yeah, other than just you, reviews <laughs> and but it's not even a discredit right but it's like sure you love you love making stuff and i can tell yeah. right like you you enjoy it. And I, and I think for me, the way I can assess something is how much does it get out of my way? And that's why, you know, Final Cut feels like an extension of my brain where it's like, I don't even think about it. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, moving stuff like the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. And that's when I notice something. If, if something slows me down or, you know, you don't have that headroom and you're kind of just always walking on that fine line, like nobody wants to be there. So... It makes me so happy to to hear headroom coming from this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's because tr- it applies to like all of the different tools we use too. It's the dynamic range in our cameras. You want you want more than you're using. You know, dynamic range in your uh, microphone and your mixer, like your preamps. Like you, d- you never want to be bumping up against the the limits of, of what you're working with. Um, what have you been using? The like, what have you been using that is pushing your M1 Max or the Mac Studio. Yeah, I feel like on the video side, I'm pretty chilling. Like, you know, I think I've been very fascinated with the Dolby Vision HDR world. And, um, you know, I think in that sense, having XDR in a MacBook is amazing because before, you know, I was kind of, I had to use the Pro Display, whereas now I can, you know, rip an XDR or an HDR Dolby Vision video on my MacBook, which is wild. Um I think I knew going into testing the Mac Studio that video, and and I feel like it's almost become a meme at this point. Like you know, video benchmarks and export times, and like like we're we're so far past that. And for me, I think I wanted to see if I could do something I couldn't do, which was to do an entire music track in twenty four bit ninety six kilohertz, and then do that in Dolby Atmos. So I think that's something I've noticed. I kind of couldn't do very easily before, even on M1 Max. And I think it's gotten a little bit better with updates and logic running natively, but to what, do an entire what, production. What was happening? Like what would, in, I mean, in what way could you not do? Just slow down? Yeah. So the, you know, the higher the sample rate that you go, the more taxing it gets, especially as you start to increase the number of tracks. Specifically, you know, if you have a huge vocal production and you have, 10 plugins per vocal track and then that adds up. So the more you do that, just th- that will crumble a machine. And oftentimes, you know, with video, there are so many coprocessors and encoders and decoders that we have other places and other areas that can help kind of just pick up the pace and take the stress off of the machine. Whereas with video or whereas with audio rather, you know, a lot of the times that's just raw CPU performance. So single core performance is very helpful. And then in this case, actually the number of physical cores were, was extremely helpful. And I got it to the point where I could get most of the stereo mix done in 2496 on my M1 Max MacBook Pro, but I was up at that ceiling, you know, like I was living a little uncomfortably at that. Whereas moving that over to the studio, just extra headroom because I have an extra physical amount of cores. And I think once I moved over to the Atmos mix, I don't 
think, and I, this is something I still need to reference, but I don't think my MacBook could have handled it like the Mac Studio, just because having the just sheer raw performance and extra headroom, um, it was legitimately beneficial. Well, it, this is part of what they're, it's part of why we can't really benchmark things in a useful way when they're at this sort of top level, because what's going to be interesting with them hasn't happened yet. You know, it's like now we can do some new, crazy new AI stuff that nobody has written before because you just couldn't. And now you can stack plugins in a way that wasn't even possible. Now you can have a different set of concurrent apps running. Like the, all, the, all the stuff, I, no, we haven't thought of it yet because it's just happening now. Um, but it's uh, it, 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 it's why if you base all of your assessments and especially this happens in the early reviews, like in our first review, we're just looking at the same things we were looking at in a generation that lived in a different paradigm. It's like paradigm. It's like things, things just are a bit different now. And the reasons to get excited are not all completely clear yet. They haven't happened, you know? Oh, if I see one more Unigen heaven benchmark, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> yeah. It's just, um, but like even that on the, some of the music benchmarks, it's like someone takes the same track and they'll duplicate it a hundred times. And it's like, right. That doesn't tell me anything. Yeah, it doesn't do anything. Well, this is also, this is part of why I don't do, any, and this is a comment I got a bunch. It's like, why am I not doing any audio tests and uh, 3D tests? I mean, it would make sense, but I don't work in that space, right? So I don't want to just, I would end up doing something like that. I don't know what... What are the plugins that everybody wants to be using, but they're a bit too heavy? Like, it's so much more useful to talk in the space that you're familiar with. So, yeah, I mean, that's why I've I've been loving watching your audio stuff because you you obviously know how it works. Um, just I'm like trying I, to learn. <laughs> well, it's 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 going pretty fast. So, this episode of the Stallman Podcast is brought to you by Microsoft Lists. You know that I'm not organized. I've talked about it a few times, but the only way I can get organized is by writing things down. So if you're looking for a new way to track and manage your work and life from start to finish, Microsoft Lists is here to help. They can help you clear out your brain space and get organized, and it all starts at lists.live.com. Microsoft kicked off a preview program to try lists with your Microsoft account, all designed for small businesses and individual use. Start by creating and sharing your lists with your work colleagues, partners, your soccer team, or your neighbors, or whoever you want. You might want to create a list of books or movies for your monthly meetings. You could track your home improvements and important receipts throughout the year. We've been doing a lot of home improvements lately, so there's a lot to track. Or you could also build out team rosters for your soccer team or volunteer group or whatever it is you need to organize. At lists.live.com, you can get started quickly with ready-made templates. You can use filters and views to visualize your information, which means means you can have one list with many different views, and then you can share your lists as links to get other people's thoughts on your work together. There's a lot you can do with lists. The ready-made templates can save you time, or you can start blank and add exactly what you want and however it is you like to track your information. It's super flexible, and if you still can't quite imagine what you'd use it for, a few ideas could be books or movies like media lists of things that you want to watch or read. You could do issue tracking for your work or event itineraries to keep track of whatever it is you're trying to organize. For a while, we've been going through a series of renovations, which means infinite to-dos like there's always something that i need to remember to pick up for the contractors or tell them to fix or whatever there it it literally never ends what we need to attend to and there's no way i could get through it without constantly keeping notes and making lists so now go and try a preview at no cost so go into your browser type in lists.live.com that's lists.live.com and sign up, sign in, and track what matters most. Check it out and let Microsoft know what you like and any feature requests. So go and try a preview now. Go to your browser, type in lists.live.com. That's lists.live.com. Sign up, sign in, and track what matters most. Check it out. Let Microsoft know what you think, if you have any feature requests. And thanks again to Microsoft for supporting the show. Uh, any other thoughts on just like the, the hardware of it? I mean, again, that's a lot of like what's even new here is we're in a we're in a yeah. you know we're in like the simplest can shape a mac can be right yeah i think it's honestly perfect because i feel like everyone wanted this for years right and i think the fact that 
it is a middle ground and there is still a Mac Pro on the horizon. Like if this was the Mac Pro, I could see it being a problem, right? Because there are limitations, but you know, it's it's for the person who doesn't want a MacBook, it's for the person who already has their display and probably doesn't want the studio display. You know, it's someone who doesn't need the mobility, it's someone who needs the extra power. I mean, for music studios and, you know, mass like media houses and stuff, it's perfect, right? Because they probably already have that modular system. And that's what this kind of is, right? It's you replace the computer, not the whole thing. And everyone for years wanted that with the iMac. They're like, give me a computer like the iMac. I don't want a Mac Pro, but I don't want a Mac Mini. I want something in between, and that's this. And I will say the one thing I've noticed is I do appreciate the extra ports because it's almost like you have a built-in dock where even compared to the Mac Pro, I find myself, when I went back to it, I was like, oh, those extra ports on the Mac Studio were really nice. Yeah, and even things like USB-A. I mean, right now I'm I'm running some adapters just to make everything work and because uh, I'm I'm on my MacBook Pro for this one. Um, I also like, you know, I, I think a lot of people also focused a bit on when they talk about pricing, this is always the case. They throw tweets out there that are like, can you believe that this $8,000 computer, blah, blah, blah. And it's like the entry price for this, I think is like pretty great. You know, you get for, for an M like for an M1 max, it is it's all most of us need it, not most of us. It's almost like the like real, like high end pros are going to be able to use the entry level one of these and do big production work. And that, oh, and it's absolutely relatively very affordable. Absolutely. And that was annoying too, when they did the keynote, like I remember saying, if they price this thing under three grand, it's a giant win. And then I was like, I saw all the tweets cause I was kind of just like, super hyped off of all the music stuff. And I saw a lot of tweets were like, oh yeah, this thing's five grand. And I'm like, oh, okay, well maybe they didn't hit that price. And I looked at it and I was like, wait, (laughs) you get that one max max for, for 1900 or or whatever. Like that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Like that's more computer than most people need. And what we still can't, we, we still have not wrapped our heads around or, or maybe, no, maybe it's that we haven't communicated well enough that this is better than the, or this is more performant in a lot of ways than the previous Mac pro was like, this is doing more than the machine that you could never imagine affording. And now you can afford it. That's why this is exciting to me. And same with the MacBook Pros as well. You're talking about the 14 inch. It's like, yeah, you can get a 14 inch with the perfect screen, you know, a great keyboard and the best, one of the best processors, better than anything you could get just a couple of years ago for, for an awesome price. I mean, if, you, if you're looking at like the mid low end of the prices, that's when things are just impo- like impossible to argue with from my perspective. It's like, these are very, these are reasonable prices for like really great performance. <laughs> Right. So I think if you've used Apple for a bit and you've kind of been through the ups and the downs and the roller coaster of, you know, the the good and the bad and the ugly, like they're giving us everything that, you know, we have asked for, you know, spanning to like 10 years to. And that's the other thing, too. Like if we want to transition to the studio display, um, you know, I remember always getting the anti-glare option on MacBooks because I loved it. I would happily pay the extra $200 or whatever for the anti-glare. So when they brought it to the pro display, you know, that was an extra thousand dollars, which was, you know, a lot of money. Then we saw that go to the 5k retina iMac for 500 bucks. And now it's much more affordable to add that to the studio display. So everything from that to, I mean, everyone wanted a 16 inch performance in a 14 inch MacBook forever. Like we're getting all these things. So it's just, I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of tech bro hype. And I feel like we tend to come out of the gate looking at things half empty as opposed to, you know, what can we do with this? And it it just turns into this echo chamber of like, everyone's mad. Everyone's grumpy. Everyone's like, ah, this sucks. And it's like, no, this shit is amazing. Yeah. Like, do you know how (laughs) not like amazing it used to be? Yeah. No, I, I, I think about that all the time. It's like, we're, we all ha- I just think about our phones. Like we have access to the stuff that only the pros had before. And you can be 13 years old and get a hand me down 
iPod touch and do something crazy. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, I do feel like it's just the wrong attitude about life to be down on any of it. And I'm not just talking about Apple too. I mean, if you're living in the PC world or the Android world, like same thing, like there's amazing stuff going on all over this place. Like it just happens to be what we like. And another thing about when, when people are sort of uh, obviously, you know, what, cause, cause this is how we talk when we talk about Apple, we get really excited. Like both you and I are, are pretty hyped on everything they're doing. The, the thing is they're just on a roll too. Like there are times they haven't been this interesting. They haven't always been giving us what we wanted. And there's like a, a lot more left over after an announcement that's like, ah, this is okay, but I really could have used this. And like you say, they're just, they're just like delivering so much right now. So um, I don't know. I, I just feel like to not celebrate what we, the tools that we have is, is like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's boring. It's like, it's boring to, to get down on it to me. I don't know. But, there's um, just a, there's a cynical, there's a cynical just take on, and like you said, it's not just Apple, right? It seems like it's everywhere. And like, sometimes like, I don't know, man, I don't, I've just kind of like walked away from a lot of it and like, I'll, occasionally check in and it's like oh like android fans are fighting with other android fans and it's just like oh i'm gonna <laughs> still just, like come on man like let's just enjoy this stuff a little bit all right well let's talk about the uh studio display a little bit then which um i you know was the much more controversial uh release and i feel like i feel like i have i have more criticisms of it than when it came out um now, like the longer I've spent with it, I'm I'm using it right now for the webcam. So if anybody listening checks out the YouTube channel, you can see a sample of it. Um, and that was one, that was one of the things that like everybody except I felt I feel like except me criticized. I had a fine sample of it. Like when I was when I was shooting with it, um, basically I was like in a pretty bright environment. I didn't have any like dark tones in the scene. And it seems to be kind of okay in in, in that space. Actually, even right now it is. Um, but the samples from a lot of the other reviewers, they happen to have dark backgrounds behind them, be wearing a black shirt, have darker skin, anything that was darker, it wants to like lift those shadows and get this kind of crazy HDR look. And as I saw more and more of that, I'm like, you, you know what? I just, I did one environmental test, didn't see that problem, but it for sure is a problem. Like seeing other people's stuff, I'm like, that doesn't look great. That could look better. Um, and then just while I'm on the webcam as well, the more I've used center stage, I'm just like, I don't know if, I don't know if I need a cameraman following me around. I've, I've found right. in meetings, it's like a little more distracting than helpful. Right. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that's definitely, especially center stage is more of an early thing. I think the webcam is definitely not amazing. I would have loved, would have loved to have them go all out, right? Like if they got an A13, let's throw an iPhone-like camera in there, right? Like really just shake things up. And I think, you know, the other half of that is, I, I think I can summarize the studio display is part of it is the wow factor that they brought with the MacBooks and that XDR display. The And it's it's weird how one piece of tech will make you appreciate the other because, I think everyone slept on the MacBooks when it came out. People slept on the XDR display in the iPad when it came out. And people slept on the Pro display when it came out. And now that the studio display is here, they're like, well, why does it have this thing that I shit all over before? You know, like, um, so it's the, the ultimate problem is it's not like I would give it, you know, it wouldn't be like an A for me. There are definitely shortcomings. And I think the biggest problem is it's just a little overpriced. And I think part of that comes with LG still continuing to make the 5k and Apple not wanting to completely obliterate them. But I think in some world, if this was 1299 and then LG knocked the price down to 999, that would have been much more, you know, palatable. And, you know, it's, it goes both ways because on the other hand, you know, inflation and parts and like the other things that we don't really consider, you know, the the wild thing is Apple prices haven't jumped with the rest of, you know, the world and the economy and everything. And um, I don't know if, I mean, that's not an excuse of my part, but I don't think it's something that we think of often. Um, but at the end of the day, studio display for me, I really, really enjoy it. I think it the microphones are phenomenal. 
the webcam is okay. I hope it gets better. And I think it's just because Apple's display tech has gotten so good, it made this feel a little underwhelming. And I think it's just a little too much money. And it yeah. wouldn't be the first display that I recommend. Right. Yeah, I um that that that's true too. It's like um I th- I think for anybody that is budget conscious like it, which most people are. It's you know, it's rare that you just don't think about it. The LG still kind of makes more sense for if you're just if you're trying to stretch your dollar. I've been using the LG this whole time. I'm still using it on at on my home desk setup and I it's still a great panel to me and it, it, you know like um depending depending on your needs right uh the g- switching from the LG to the studio display is a bit of a luxury it is it is better it is way nicer for sure but it is like it's you know it's uh whipped cream on top like it's it's the things you're getting aren't like required to to live you know oh absolutely like if you had a 5k i wouldn't say you need to go sell it right yeah and i think actually i would point people towards the 24 inch LG because that's the best value it's 24 inches. It's a great panel. It's 4K. It has an extra Thunderbolt port on the back. So it gives you, you know, a pass through and almost like this like super hub functionality, like the original Thunderbolt display. And for me, that's the best value. And the wild part is that thing used to be like $699 or uh, as low as $599. But because of, you know, because of, you know, demand and not being able to meet parts, like that thing sells for sometimes 800 bucks now because of just the state in which we live in. And, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to like, what is useful for you? And I do enjoy 120 Hertz. I I really do. But for the stuff I do, I'm like, I'm not constantly whizzing in and out of things where it like makes or breaks me like I would much. Obviously, if I could just, you know, play the infinite game and take everything. Yes, give me all of it. Right. But if like, I'm in the real actual reality, and I can only pick this or that i much prefer a good bright accurate panel um and as opposed to a, a shittier panel and you know higher refresh rate well yeah let's talk about the, the display as it is so let's say it's within your budget you can you know you, you don't have a problem spending the few extra dollars over the lg um yeah like what how do you feel about the panel i feel like you know i was really positive on this in some ways, because like, this is what I've been waiting for. Like I have been asking for exactly what they did. They just delivered the thing I wanted. So that feels really good in some ways. But, um, you know, is it good enough for 2022 or for 2023 and 24, which is when it's still going to be, you know, it'll be for sale for a few years, I bet. I, you know, they don't refresh their monitors very often. So is it do you, like, does it feel good enough for the next few years? It, it depends, right? Like if I think it's an extra option. I think if you stack everything up, it's just one more option. I think again, the dream scenario would have been this guy is priced at twelve ninety nine. I think that makes it way more, you know, acceptable. And I think the other dream scenario would have been some studio display or pro studio display. So same thing, twenty seven inches. You know, you have a thousand nits HDR. Um, you know, it wasn't LCD. I think. If that was closer to two grand and you had this as an option for twelve ninety nine, that's probably the dream scenario. But again, then there's the whole rumor mill of not being able to produce any of those displays for the next year or two. So I think at the end of it, you know, hopefully at the other end of that, Apple brings more tech into here with the A13, right? Because if it was just a standalone AirPlay machine or you can run Apple TV or, you know, and who knows? I think we have WWDC coming, and maybe that unlocks things that we we don't know yet. But I, ultimately, it's a really, really, really good display, and it's just a little bit too much money in the state of the world that we live in and with the display tech that's coming out in the near yeah. distant future. The the by far the most common response I got in in my comments was like recommending cheaper 4K panels that had the specs right. So I but I think it's worth going over because like if you don't if you haven't interacted with a 5K 27 inch, it's totally not clear why. I I 100% understand like because I sit at home and I watch a 4K TV that's 65 inches. So like 4K is fine for that. Why is it not good enough for my mac os running computer right i mean i think it's like one scaling right if you're used to 5k and like how apple scales things 
Um, and I think people often even under look and underappreciate that. Like scaling on Windows is wild. And people sometimes they hear 4K or 5K and they're like, well, why do I want that many Ks? Like the text is going to look like ants. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like it's it's scaled, right? So the things that need to be scaled like text and, you know, UI, that's all, you know, at a four to one scale. And then things that need to be one to one, like video or photos, like that actually is the resolution you're seeing. And I think that's an underrated thing that people sleep on with Apple is the the ability to scale pixels and now HDR. And that's why the MacBooks are magic. That's why the Pro Display was magic. That you could have, you know, you could have Final Cut be an SDR, right? Your text, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the UI, yeah. and then your video somehow is magically Crazy, an HDR. Yeah. You can move it, scale it. And to an extent, you know, I think what people don't appreciate with even the studio display is the brightness does matter, especially if you're getting into that world of messing with HLG because Apple scales HDR better than anybody else. And, you know, they will they will output an HDR video to the maximum potential of your device. So if it can output 600 nits, you're going to get that. So I think my biggest thing is when people are saying, oh, this monitor is basically the same and it's 350 nits, like you're crazy. There's no way. And I've, you know, it's, it's, it's brightness, it's viewing angles, it's so much more. And it doesn't make this monitor inherently bad. It's just like, please don't say they're the same. Like this may be a better value for you and it might be more than great, right? And it I'm not, doesn't make that trash, but just please don't say they're the same. Well, and I, and I started really realizing that's, well, one of those specs, the, the refresh rate doesn't actually matter to me on my computer very much. Because I just started thinking about it after this. I was like, wait a minute, when do I notice it on my MacBook? Like, when do I realize that it's 120? Because I do on my phone, like on the phone, I feel it. swiping. Yeah, yeah, you're touching it and it's mo- it's connected to your body all of a sudden. And same with the iPads and like, and the screen, the the apps are full screen. So there's a lot of times where the whole screen all moves at once very quickly. That doesn't really happen on the Mac. Like the only time it does is when you quickly scroll through web page. Not the only, but that's one of the few. Or if you're playing games, but that's not what we're talking about here. Um, so I, I, I actually like, I don't really care about the 120 on it's, inc- it's sort of a, that's a, an example to me on the MacBooks of being like, that's super impressive. They could do that, but I don't feel it. You know, I don't feel the, what I do feel is the contrast ratio. Like the blacks being black is amazing. Um, that additional brightness to me. So HDR to me, like what's exciting about HDR is having it be available in more viewing conditions um, that in a brighter environment, it still feels as, as rich and bright, but it, it doesn't really matter to me about getting like the sun looking like it's glowing from behind. Like that kind of like HDR effect isn't the priority of HDR to me. It's that the blacks aren't brighter than the rest of my room and the whites are, uh, are, are bright enough that I can see it, that like the tones come through if I'm in a bright space or I'm looking on my iPad. So um, you know, it having a thousand nits or, or something like that, it's, um, that would be nice, but what I would appreciate it, what I wish even more for the studio display is that the blacks could, could come down and that, oh, it, that's, you know, that's what they mean by HDR, by di- at a larger dynamic range is that you've just got more difference between your blacks and whites. Right. And I feel it in the blacks more than, than in the highlights, but. Oh, I, I mean, yes, I love some, some deep blacks, but the, uh, you, yeah, but you like push it. You like, you're, you played in that space a lot and actually, uh, okay. There, yeah, go on. <laughs> go for it. I was gonna say like, there's nothing better than like a good, you know, uh, sparkle or highlight or like, um, you know, oh my God, like good HDR is so good. Well, so this would be good to ask you about. You, you were one of the first people I knew personally that was like really, playing with HDR before it was ready to go mainstream before like everybody could really knew what was going on. Um, uh, yeah, I guess just tell me more about that. Cause I've been, I've been resistant to it. I've been trying to make sure I understand what's going on with it, but I see a lot of examples of it that I'm like, I don't know that this is a better experience. And, and I'll just give you one example for you. Tell me what you love about it. I don't want to bring it down too much, but so looking, I turn it off on my iPhone photos and videos. I don't, capture an HDR or Dolby vision. And I don't 
view my photos or my videos in it. Um, because I, I end up noticing that at the moment of roll off, like as we go into that specular clipped white, that becomes the, the bright white HDR, it isn't a smooth transition. And it, and it draws my eye to that moment. And Apple's doing it automatically. We're not, we're not like manually color grading. And it's pretty cool that they're able to sort of master it on the fly like that. But I find that mastering to still draw my attention to it, feeling a little bit like a trick and not feeling completely natural. Um, and I, when I watch a movie, like a, a professional movie that is graded for it, I don't notice that. Cause like somebody has just sculpted it perfectly. So that roll off is exactly where it needs to be. And I don't quite find that in the automated stuff, but that's, I don't know. I I also don't want to like talk you down off of it. Cause I know you're super into it. So like, no, there's no one that could talk me down off of it. Like I'm (laughs) in, like, I think, you know, uh, phones, especially, which is more like the automated effect. I think we're still not quite there because it can be a little bit jarring sometimes, especially when the highlights are crazy. I think the other thing too is like there's a whole different world of shooting for it, right? So ideally you're monitoring in HDR and Dolby Vision. But I think the reason I'm so excited is because it feels like an opportunity for us to take advantage of the tech that we all brag about, right? Like everybody on Twitter is like, oh yeah, my camera, it's got 13 stops, 14 stops, 15 stops. And it's like, you know, SDR, you're only seeing maybe six, six and a half of that. So it's we have all this extra data that we're losing out. And I think, you know, you got to come over, A, <laughs> soon so I can show you this stuff yeah, in yeah. person, especially the Atmos stuff. But when HDR is done right, it the reaction is like, oh, my God, that feels like I'm watching it in real life through a window. And I would say that's why I'm most excited, because when you do it right, it 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 just feels like you're there in that moment. And... You know, I've I've come, I mean, I've spent probably the last three years just really into it. And it can be jarring at first, especially if you overdo it. But when you start to to think of it as life and it's just more like nuance, it's it's the deeper black. So it's perceived that it's darker. But then it's the it's the catch light in the eyes. It's the sparkle. It's the there's just so much nuance that when it's done right, you don't really notice it physically, but your brain appreciates it. And then when you get to experience really good HDR and then you go back to SDR, it Mm -hmm. feels like there's a blanket over the image. Right. It makes sense. It totally makes sense. And, and I do think, cause I'm not down on the, on the technology or on the concept. I think I just am. It's like, um, when I, I don't see enough examples of it that that make me fall in love, and I don't know. So I, hopefully, I'll be at NAB this year, and then I'll see some TVs that are showing me the exact right example. Nah, but, forget NAB. <laughs> just come here. I'm gonna fly yeah, you yeah. out. Like your your own personal NAB. Yeah, um, I'm yeah. ready. I, I know. Well, that's why. Yeah. So in my videos, using your your the the HDR samples you shot for your XDR review was like some of the best examples I could find on YouTube just that's to like, show it off. I don't want to say it's trash, but we've got a lot. We got some better stuff these days. That wasn't so. that long ago. That just happened. No, that's cool though. No, yeah. I no, I know, but it was just like, yeah, it's. I don't know. I'm just. I'm excited to keep pushing things. Right. Cool. Yeah. Well, speaking of pushing things, like let's talk about what you've been doing in general. I mean, if we now go back a little further to like, you know, last time you were on the show, you were much more of like a traditional tech channel, and now your focus is much more on the creative side. Like it feels like you are. Uh, just like making stuff you, the priority is that you love the stuff you make and then you find a way to turn that into a story to help other people understand how they can do the same thing. That's, that's how I'm thinking about it. How, how have you thought about the shift? Yeah, I think it's just a combination of a wanting to do things that I enjoyed. And I don't think I ever necessarily wanted to be a quote unquote tech reviewer. I think you kind of just get thrown in a bubble and a label and people kind of assume things but like you know I've talked about this too but it's like I never signed up for it right I just kind of made things in the tech space I've always loved tech and you know I think that kind of culture naturally happened whereas I've always enjoyed the process of making stuff more I've enjoyed storytelling I've enjoyed documenting my favorite thing actually I don't know what my favorite thing is because I think I equally love shooting as much as I do editing but it's it's really fun to take a bunch of random chaos and make it not 
and to make it make sense and to you know take a take a bit of life and then tell a story with that and i think going back to our conversation earlier at at some point it just became less about making stuff and more about let's just trash it or let's come at it negatively and i think you know not that it's the case with the studio display but i think if you're if you're going into something expecting it to be bad like it's going to be bad like i want to i want to take a good shot right i want to i want to compose a great image i'm not trying to actively take a bad shot and i think sometimes whether it's subconsciously or consciously if you come into this place looking for bad you're going to perform bad and then blame the instrument and i think like i said it it's more about like does this get out of the way what does it allow me to do and i don't know man like i just would lose my mind doing you know sure yeah smart videos all the time <laughs> forever like, yeah I, well and and i i definitely also what you know what i've I've talked to you about i've seen you talk about is the way the difference of how music actually connects to the inside of your brain and i i 100 percent have that feeling specifically with music as well that you know i always think about like my interests are inversely related to my skill set where i like photography became the biggest part of my career and i have less of that like passionate connection to it than music but i'm not good at music at all like you know like i barely get by with it but i i I, you know i definitely have the it's the thing that like it just has a direct line into you know your like spinal columns like i don't get goosebumps from looking at photos and it can happen in the first few chords of a song so um so yeah no i think that's great that you've been able to kind of pursue that more and like what part of what uh isn't a, a thousand percent clear from just like looking at it as it comes out is like, how do you see your role in the music that you're producing? You're obviously, there's a ton of collaboration. You're bringing in other people at every layer of the stack. Um, How do you think about the, the, well, and for anybody that hasn't already followed Jonathan and friends, like for the Jonathan and friends project, like how do you think about your place in it? Um, I mean, I love the idea of connecting talented people. I feel like that's, you know, where I've learned the most of just being with people who are incredibly talented. So I've, I've, like, I love learning and I love trying to get better. And I think music has always been my first thing. And, um, you know, not to like, I mean, I've kind of mentioned, uh, mentioned it a little bit, but, you know, I think a lot of my kind of renewed passion for tech and trying to show things is just kind of how my dad was. And I lost him early when I was 18. And he was the guy who was just, you know, loved every bit of tech. And, you know, I, I've told this story in a video where one of my vivid memories was him going to Hollywood video, not Blockbuster and asking for a Blu-ray to the, to the associate. And like, he had no idea what a Blu-ray was yet because it wasn't out yet. So I think just trying to find that joy. And honestly, you know, he is what got me into music. And I think when I lost him, I kind of fell out of love with music. And where I wanted to turn to it to feel better, like I couldn't. And, you know, you grow up, you become an adult, video takes off and like, okay, this is a job now, right? And, you know, then I became obsessive with video. And so I think music was always there. And it was always something that I got tried to hold on to and just never really wanted to let go completely. I couldn't find myself, but I think, you know, somewhere along the lines of that Mac Pro era, iPhone 11 Pro, um, that year specifically, I knew at some point I wanted to try to find my way back to music. So I think that's why I lent myself to a lot of music, you know, based projects. And I think at that time, and it's probably a little more clear now, I think I was kind of just seen as the tech guy who liked music. And I don't think people really understood why I was so passionate about it. Um, But like music drives everything for me. It dictates the edit. It changes the flow. Like it just changes everything for me. And I think to your point, like music is cool because it lets you use your imagination. Whereas like if we have the visuals, it's already kind of doing the work for us where music, it just, you know, it unlocks a part of our brains that might not be there before. So once I got to do those things and hang out with Lute and, you know, Andrew Dawson, that whole kind of era, 
for me, it was just super motivating. It was like, you know, like I love music. I want to do music, but I'm going to work my ass off as hard as I can on the music side so I can be in the same room as these guys because they're so good. I just want to be able to be in there and provide value and to be able to do something. So to to come full circle, and I think a lot of that is in part with the pandemic and just, I don't know, just realizing like what all of this, like what is all this for? Um, that was just an extra kick in the pants of like, okay, now I, I've made my mind up and now I'm going to work even harder at music. And I think it's just, it's kind of come full circle. So, you know, to be here to make music and, you know, especially recently to, to work on and make music and release music with loot is like, like a literal dream come true to where like, you know, it's almost like that you could cry happy feeling because it's like, it's crazy. I mean, I remember finding them on Spotify and just being a huge fan and then to to make a track with them is wild. So I don't know. Life is life is crazy. <laughs> no, I, like I love that you're taking advantage of life. Like it, it, it feels good just watching it from the outside. And um, it, it, what it makes me think about there's um, I enjoy doing just like a straight tech video, you know, like in, you were saying that, you know, it doesn't like, you don't completely love it. I do. I do really enjoy like just getting some nice B roll of a product and like talking about it. Like, I, I think that's fun. The downside though, is then I go back through my channel and I'm like, you know, when I retire from this someday, my whole collection is just going to be talking about old gadgets that are completely outdated and like none of it will have any like resonance long-term. So that's like the, the only, the only part of it that's like frustrating. It's like, or, and also the, you know, the video photo work I do is like commercial, right? It's like typically to like sell a product. Um, and it'd be nice to have things that hold up and like, obviously the songs you're making will, right? Like songs don't dissipate in the same way that, sort of like news coverage, which is like what a tech review really is, uh, sort of fades in relevance in in another way. So you're, there's like a timelessness to what you're working on too. Yeah. I think it comes down to though, just like personal mental sanity, right? Like I think, you know, I've had to weirdly enough. And I think this actually would translate to kind of what you're talking about. Cause like, it's cool that you enjoy that. And I I don't think that just because I don't enjoy it doesn't make it wrong. Right. Like if you enjoy it, that's awesome. And I love that you enjoy it. And I think I've had similar experiences where, you know, especially in music where it's been nice to find people who care about it as much as I would care about my own thing. And I think I tweeted that maybe a year ago where it's like, you know, for me, the the true definition of a professional is someone that cares about that work as much as you would care about your work. And trying to look at the like the juxtaposition of where, if someone doesn't care about it as much as I do, like it doesn't make them a bad person because um, I'm a crazy person, right? Like no one probably should work on stuff <laughs> the amount that I like I do because I love it. But rather than focus on like, oh, like this person doesn't love it, I'm going to focus on the people who do love it like I do. And I think that's been a huge kind of shift for me mentally. And I still work on it right like I still find myself reading dumb takes and like engaging in them and you know what I try to do and what I can what I should continue to do is actually just let the work speak for itself right and you know not in like a because one of my favorite quotes of all time is the, the Steve Martin quote of be so good they can't ignore you and I don't think that's from like an like a, like a jerk place I think it's like just don't talk put your head down work hard and you know let the work speak for itself so for me that's that's the mental reminder of like hey try not to engage with this guy on twitter right like just put your head down for that you know little bit of mental energy that you were going to expend in a negative way like put that into a positive way and so i think that's been a lot of the drive for me is just to like okay take a breath don't let it bother you let's just make something really cool yeah yeah, yeah, I love that. No, I, I we could all, we we could all use a little bit more of that, and uh, th- there's there's other things that are helpful about it too. That a lot of the people that spend their time and energy on just the creative pursuit don't have don't have any bandwidth to also talk about how they did it. So I, there's always this void in in the the tech and creative space of like 
there's people talking about it that are like hobbyists and they have time to make videos and write articles. And then there's the people like that only have time to make Hollywood movies, right? Like they're, they're Mm -hmm. just doing the work and they don't, you know, really explain it to at a level that people just getting into it can get passionate about. So when I find people that talk that way, I appreciate it so much. Like there's a few, few people on Twitter, like Todd, if anybody doesn't follow Todd Vaziri, he, um, you know, has done like some of the biggest work at ILM. And then he tweets like crazy and is telling us exactly how he did it. And I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. And I wish more people that were doing the creative part would just like, just give us a, a few minutes of your time every once in a while and tell us how you did it. Because I don't only want to be getting advice from people that are only writing articles. The, their whole creative pursuit is writing articles and making videos about the videos and right. that they're making to, you know, which, which I get sucked into that, that loop sometimes as well. But it's, it's why I try it's to keep like, not to, yeah, it's why I try to keep yeah. some like commercial production going and like creative stuff. And like that, I try not to only be doing the mm. completely gear centric stuff. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's inevitably like impossible not to like look at it sometimes or pay attention to it. Like I said, it's something that I've had to work on. And sometimes I find myself and like, I don't know. Twitter for me sometimes is like a journal where I'm just like, sure. you know, jotting things down or it's a project or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, all of my passion comes from just loving the the creative part of it. But yeah, I think that's been part of like why I'm excited at all of this stuff, you know, because I'm, I want to kind of take away the facade and like at the end of the day, you know, that's one thing I've learned in life too is like, no one actually knows what they're doing, right? Like when we strip it back, we're all just humans trying to figure it out. And, you know, there are more talented people and people that work very hard. But at the end of the day, we're all very similar. And I want to take a little bit of that, you know, curtain away and show that, hey, like we're just normal humans making stuff at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, if anybody isn't already following Jonathan and Friends on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Music and everywhere else you're doing it, uh, now's the time. Uh, thanks for giving me some of your time, Jonathan. It's been, it's been great catching yes. up. Yes.